Amen. Hey, uh, next week, we'll be back in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 21. So you might want to look at that this week, uh, before next week. But right now, I'd love to introduce to you my good friend, Jim Immig. So Jim, uh, coming up here, I'm really excited to have other people preach from time to time so you hear the gospel from different angles. And Jim has been a part of our church uh, for quite a while in that we're all connected, but also because he watches online, but he's also the pastor of a church in Elbert, and Jim's an ordained Presbyterian pastor. He's married to Donya, who I really like, maybe more than Jim, <laughs> I don't know, but um, uh, <laughs> Jim uh, is a father of, together you have four, four children, and uh, so he's, he's going to give the message this morning. Um, Jim also uh, gave one of the breakout sessions at our conference a few months ago, and he's going to be leading a class on Wednesday night, starting a week from this Wednesday, and I'm excited about it uh, for a chance for people to come to a, a Bible study and interact with someone that's got an awful lot of knowledge and uh, experience expositing Scripture. So let's pray for Jim, and then uh, I'll hand it over. So, Father, thank you for Jim. I thank you for... Um, I thank you for your mercy on Jim's life, even if at times your mercy hurts and it burns. I thank you for writing your story of uh, grace and mercy and love on Jim, and I thank you for the faith that you have created in Jim. And Lord God, I pray that your spirit would now move between us um, as, as we preach. But thank you, Father, in your name, Jesus, amen. I am excited about being here. Um, I told this story last night. I will retell it briefly. That uh, my my association with Peter Hyatt came uh, as a result of a, a friend of mine. I'm part of a preaching team, and uh, one day he came to the preaching team, Les Avery, with a cassette tape. So that tells you how long ago it was. And he said, "You guys have to listen to this." And it was a cassette tape. Peter Hyatt preaching, what if God is gooder than you know? And his, I listened to that tape and my mind just exploded. Uh, filled with the hope that God could be as good as we could imagine God to be. <clears throat> and so that started me on this journey. And so my connection, I, I began to subscribe to the, the, the tapes or the, the CDs by then as he was at Lookout Mountain and, I, and walked through the process of, of uh, his leaving Lookout Mountain and, and coming out here. And so I, I have been a part. He hasn't known about it, but I was a part of his ministry just kind of soaking in what he had to say. And as God would have it, we have had opportunity to connect, and, and so now I, I am here. It, it just thrills me to, to be able to be here. And so um, I, was, I was quite taken by the song that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. It is, of course, an important verse to me. But the question is, how will we get or how will God get every knee to bow? That's a hard thing. There are people who seem to have dedicated their lives to not bowing their knee, to, to not allowing their hearts to be broken. And, and so if we believe that a God is as good as Scripture teaches, 
How does that happen? I mean, that's, uh, that's something I want to think about a little bit today, but let's pray. And so, Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy and your perseverance. As we think about that today, I pray that you will bless our hearts, open our hearts, and fill our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. It was in 1959, I was three years old, and, and right around Christmas time, I ended up in the hospital. I had a kidney infection. And so my Christmas that year was somewhat limited. It was certainly truncated. Um, I think it was because of that that, the, my, that next year, in 1960, my mom said to me, Jim, we're going to go to Hallie's department store. Now, now, Hallie's means nothing to you probably because you're not from Cleveland, but if you remember the story, uh, if, if you remember the Christmas story where the little boy is, is, is desiring this Red Ryder BB gun, it is, from, it is at Hallie's that they go, and, and, and that was the scene in that movie where all of the excitement just kind of gave birth to him. And so when I was told at four years old that I was going to go to Hallie's with my mom, my heart just leapt, thinking of all the things that I might end up coming home with from, from Hallie's. There was, there was a, a guy there by the name of Mr. Jingling, and, and every Christmas time he would have a TV show, and we would, we would watch that TV show at, on Hallie's seventh floor. He'll be waiting for you to turn the key. You could go to Hallie's and get a key. Now, we never quite knew what that key was for, but I knew that if I hung onto that key, it could change my life. Uh, and, and so I wanted that key, and I wanted to get some candy, and I wanted to get presents. I mean, this was the opportunity to, to have my mom pay me back for such a horrible Christmas the year before. Well, we went to Hallie's, and we were wandering around the store, and, and at four years old, uh, my mother, not very large, she could only hold me for so long, and so she set me down, and she said... Stay close. <laughs> like that was going to work. Well, it was not long before I looked up and my mother was gone. And I began to voice my disapproval, my sadness, my sorrow. Well, quickly, back in 1960, I was gathered up by someone and, and taken to the lost and found, where I was set on a countertop and given all of the candy I could hold. You know, the definition of hell is having everything you want but not wanting anything you have. And there I was in hell, holding on to this candy, screaming, for my life, and, and my mother, whose ear was tuned to the voice of her son, heard that voice over all of the Christmas revelry, and like a homing pigeon came to that noise where she said she saw me screaming, holding the candy. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is giving a party. He has invited all manner of people. You know, in, in the Gospels, he tells his disciples, when you give a party, don't give a party to the wealthy. Don't, don't give a party for, for those who can pay you back. But when you give a party, give a party to those who, who are poor, who are destitute, who would not be invited to parties. And as you show them 
God's love, God will repay you. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives this party. It says that the sinners and the tax collectors were gathered around to hear Jesus. Now, the Pharisees were also there. Jesus is an equal opportunity inviter. And the Pharisees are complaining. You see, when you give a party in the Middle East, it, it's not just you're inviting a bunch of people and they all come and, and fellowship, but what, what happens at that party is you stand there and you bless those who come into the party. Blessing the, 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 the tax collectors and blessing the sinners is something that the Pharisees could not understand. You see, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, these are people who were guilty of, of crimes, they were guilty of sedition, they were guilty of being traitors. The tax collectors would go to the Roman government and they would say, I want to collect taxes from this section of the town and I will pay you X number of dollars and whatever extra I collect is mine to keep. And they would come up with all sorts of reasons to get as much money from you as they could. And the worst part of it was that you knew that most of the money you gave them would go to Caesar and his armies and they would come and oppress you. And so these people, these tax collectors, were actually part of the process of holding Israel under the thumb of the Roman Empire. So, of course, the tax collectors were hated. The sinners were people that you wouldn't want to meet around dusk. You wouldn't want to meet at a lonely part of the road. You would, you, the, the sinners were the kinds of people who beat up the man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there Jesus is, speaking kindly to them, telling them that they are loved. Pharisees couldn't understand that. That makes no sense. Now, if you had invited them and you had, had stood on a, a soapbox and you had rained down judgment on them and, and told them how they needed to get their lives in order, well, they could have understood that. But, but, but it was this level of civility, this level of love that left the Pharisees perplexed. And so they complained. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells three parables. The first two parables I want to go through very quickly the, the, be, to give you a sense of the heart of God. The last parable, the parable of the prodigal, is one that, well, we could spend weeks dissecting. I'm, but the first parable is a parable that is very well known. He says, he said, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous, person who, or righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is granting the Pharisees a premise, and that is that the Pharisees, being righteous, don't need to repent. 
But he needs to tell them that there is something in the heart of God that goes after those who are lost. Now, it is interesting. I want to point out a couple of things in this, in this story. Number one is he, he begins by saying, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. When we think about sheep, we recognize, well, here's how sheep get lost. They go out into the field, and they, and they eat, and they find a rich vein of clover, and they, they work through that rich vein, and they go down a valley and, and over a couple of rocks, and they find a river, and they drink out of the stream, and then they look up and they say, where did everybody go? Like I got lost at Halley's, they, we look at the sheep and we say, they get lost of no fault of their own. They were just being sheep. You can't blame them. And of course, the sheep are not blamed in this story. You know who's blamed? The shepherd. Jesus says this, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. The shepherd lost the sheep because it's his job to keep the shepherd with him. Or it's, it's his job to keep the sheep with him. Have you ever thought about that? That when someone wanders from the gospel, God takes that personally. Like, he lost them. They're gone. And having taken that act personally, God goes after that person. It's his job to find him. It's his job to seek him out. It's his job to recover you see, what would happen is that the, 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 the sheep would, would go out and he would find himself lost or find herself lost and, and, and start wandering around. You know, when, when, when I was um, younger and I had two young boys, we would go to the stock show and we always had a rule. I told my boys, I said, look, I'm not going to tell you not to get lost because that's, that's kind of silly. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When you get lost, stop. As soon as you don't see me, stop and stand there. I will find you. Because the problem with the sheep is that the sheep's going to say, well, maybe I'll go here. And if he chooses wrong, then the farther he walks, the farther he gets lost. As dusk comes and he recognizes or she recognizes that, that, that now the wolves and the coyotes and the foxes are coming out, what, what the sheep would do is hit the ground. Make yourself real small. Kind of die. And so the shepherd has to find that sheep. And when the shepherd finds the sheep, well, they're almost catatonic. Now, we, we, see all these, we, we see these pictures of Jesus being the shepherd who recovers the sheep. You know, the funny thing is, it's always a little lamb. And he has this little lamb draped across his shoulders, and it's just, oh my goodness, isn't it adorable? But in the real world, the shepherd would be looking after a sheep that weighs, oh, I don't know, 100 pounds? And finding a catatonic, deadweight sheep, he would hoist that sheep on his shoulders and begin to carry this 100-pound beast back to the fold. Enjoy. For there is nothing that brings greater joy to a shepherd than being able to find a sheep and be able to bring that living sheep back. And in joy, he calls his friends and he said, it is time to rejoice. And they party. 
because the one who was lost was found. The second parable that he tells, he says, or suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Same word. Now, of course, with, with the coin, you know the coin had no role in being lost. It wasn't as if the coin was wandering around the countertop and fell off the edge. The coin somehow was lost through fault of the owner. Now, when I was, again, when I was a, a, a father, a young father, and, and my boys were around, I loved having my boys around. You know why? Because I could blame them for anything that I lost. What did you do with that screwdriver? See, now that I no longer have my kids around the house, I, I, I lose as many screwdrivers as I used to. I, I, I'm not quite sure when my kids come home and lose them, but um, I'm sure it's not me. But this woman loses a coin. Now, um, for us to lose a coin is no big deal. Guys, I think of it this way, that there was a man who came to Super Bowl Sunday and he lost his remote control. Wouldn't he clean the house diligently? Wouldn't he search hard until he found it? And then with joy, he would contact his friends and said, come on over, the game's on. And there would be a party because he found his remote control. Well, the woman searches diligently and finds that coin. You see, that coin completes her. The, in, in the first parable, it is the sheep that completes the shepherd. That sheep belonged either to him or someone in his family. And so for him to go home and say, uh, sorry, Uncle John, I, I, I lost your sheep, sorry. It's not an option. And so he would go and find the sheep. The woman finds the coin. And then in joy, she contacts her friends. And so in these first two stories, Jesus tells of the heart of God. That the heart of God is one that will say, I cannot live knowing that what completes me is lost. Well, the Pharisees would easily say, quickly say, what? Okay, wait, 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 wait. You're talking about a, a cute little sheep. You're talking about a coin. We're talking about people who have willfully turned their back on our nation, who are working against our prosperity, who, who would, would as easily beat you up and take your money as go to your banquet. You don't know what you're talking about because you're giving us this antiseptic story about things that are lost that need to be found. These are sinners. These are tax collectors. These are people who deserve to be judged, who, who are beyond the scope of God's grace. And so Jesus tells a third story. In the third story, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And he divided his property among them. Now, in our world, this would be a hard thing to do. I mean, I might go to my dad and say, you know, Dad, I know you've got a big inheritance. I'm going to get ready to, when you're gone, I'm going to inherit some stuff. Can I, could I borrow some of that money because I want something? But in this story, the, the younger son is saying to the father, I, I mean, culturally, He's saying to the father, Dad, if you were dead, I could have your stuff. I wish you were dead. 
so I could have your stuff. Imagine a father hearing that phrase, that, that request, that demand. The father would have been well within his rights to thrash his son. Or worse, he could have grabbed his son by the ear, taken him into the city square, informed the people of the town what his son had said to him. They would have gathered rocks and stoned him to death. But rather, the father hears this statement. He absorbs the pain. He absorbs the, the, the vitriol. The treason. And he says, okay. And he divides his estate between his two boys. You see, the father dies that day. In a very real sense, he pretends, he, he takes on that death. And he disperses his inheritance. Well, listen to what happens. It says, not many days later, not long after that, the youngest son gets together everything that he has and he sets off for a distant country. You see, when the, when the son tells his father that and his father divides his estate, well, his son now is persona non grata in the town. And so he has to liquidate his estate. He sells property. He, he, he sells the property that God had given to his family. He sells heirlooms. He sells all kinds of amazing things and takes all of that money and goes to a distant country. You see, what the father is doing is he is giving the son everything that he wants and allowing him to go to hell. Because he sells everything that he has. He goes to a, a distant country. He, he, he spends all of his money on, on, on what is there and uh, on the pleasure of the eye. And then a famine hits. Now, as we listen to the story, we say, serves him right. Finally, God is getting involved, and now he is going to punish this boy for, for the horrible things that he's done. He, he's going to punish him for, for, for hating his father. He's going to punish him. Well, it could be punishment. If the purpose of your life is to live in ease, it is punishment. But if the purpose of your life is to be reunited with your father, then maybe, just maybe, that famine is a mercy. For you see, now he has no money, he has no margin. He, he now has to survive, and he, he, he connects himself to a Gentile who raises pigs, and he gets a job of, of feeding pigs. He's totally abandoned. He, it says here that... Um, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He was totally abandoned. 
And one day, as he is feeding the pigs and trying to figure out how to cook and eat the food that the pigs would be eating, he gets a thought. He says, wait a second, my father's servants are eating. They're, they're doing just fine. Why don't I go, why don't I go home? He says, I will arise and go to my father. I'll, I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. That's a very interesting deal that he is going to present to his father. You see, he has really two choices. He can go back and he can fall at his father's feet and he can repent, or he can go back to his father and make him a deal. Essentially, what he can tell his father is, look, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy, but I can work my way into worthiness. Make me as a servant, and I will work, and I will make you money, and I will begin to repay the, 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 the money that I took from you. I will, I will be able to, to set you up for your old age, and I will, I will, I will. You see, you see the young son is not really repenting. He's coming up with a business deal that he intends to give to his father. And so he gets up and he goes home. Now, either way, this is going to be hard. You see, the town from which he comes already hates him. The father is a beloved figure in that, in that town. And, 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 and as he approaches that town, all of the father's friends and all of the, even his, his buddies will become a gang. He's going to have to bear the slings and arrows of what that town can give him. And, and I'll tell you what, if you've ever lived in a small town, you know how bad that can be. He takes off, he goes home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. Make me, make me someone. Make me someone who can work for you and make you money. I can, I can earn my keep. But listen to what happens. You can imagine as that sun is coming up over that last hill, that last rise, and then he sees the, 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 the city walls and, and he starts walking down that final decline into, into town. I mean, he can't see anyone. He can't make anyone out. He, he is simply walking towards that town and then he sees in the distance this little figure moving in his direction, not only moving, but running in his direction. Because see what it says, it says that, that while he was still a long way off, his father sees him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, from the day that the father left, or from the day that the son left, the father couldn't go seeking him as the shepherd seeks the sheep, but he watches for him. He's talking to his friends at the city gate, and, but constantly his eye is cast on that horizon, hoping, hoping, waiting, expecting to see. And one day he sees it. That particular gate that only his son has, coming up over the hill and walking down. Well, the, well, the father wastes no time. Now, again, in that culture, for an old man to hike up his robe and to run is shameful. See, you get to a certain point where you don't run. People run to you. 
But he gets up and he runs. Now, he does this for two reasons. Number one, because he has been waiting for his son to come back for such a long time. But number two, he understands that if he escorts his son into the town, that his son will not take the slings and arrows of the town. All of the father's friends will have to stand aside and allow the son to come into the town. He will be welcomed because the father has welcomed him. And so once again, the father shames himself and takes the hit, the, 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 the shame the, of his son's sin. Well, he kisses him, and, and, and the son then begins his speech. But there is something different about the speech. The son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see what's missing? The business proposal. I can become a servant. I can work. I can make you money. I can, I can benefit you. Now, there's two possibilities. Number one is that the father cuts him off, and a lot of people believe that that is true, but first of all, it doesn't say that he was interrupted. And also, he never gets back to the business proposal. That seems to be the crux, the incentive for him to go home. But there was something about his father running out to find him. That breaks the son's heart. And he says, no business deals. I'm going to receive my father's mercy and grace. You see, the heart's son, or the, 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 the son's heart breaks that day. And now he begins to be someone who can receive the mercy and grace of God. He walks past the stuff of his father and he embraces the heart of the father. You know, whenever we pray for miracles more than we pray for the heart of God. Whenever we desire to be lifted up by the Holy Spirit and be given a, an amazing worship experience, when we desire that more than we desire searching Scripture and praying through the week and preparing our hearts to know God better, we fall into the category of the younger son. We say to God, I, 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 I kind of like you, but I really love your stuff. You see, we can be the younger son. And we need our hearts broken. Well, then what happens, of course, is that the father says to him, or the father says to his servants, bring a robe and bring a ring and bring sandals for his feet. He is my son. We're going to throw a party, kill the fatted calf, invite the whole town. And they begin to make merry. Here's where the story gets interesting. Because the older son, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
Well, the older brother becomes angry and he refuses to go in. So the father, the father has to humble himself. He has to shame himself one last time. He walks out of the party. He walks into the courtyard. He walks out of the courtyard. He leaves the celebration to plead with the older son. And listen to what the older son says. The older son <clears throat> said, Look, all of these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He said, when, when you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You see what the, what, what the older son is saying? He's saying, all these years I have obeyed you. You never gave me any of your stuff. I need to tell you something, and this is one of these truths that I have come to understand. And that is, in our walk with God, if our primary goal is to obey God, we'll never be able to love him. If our primary goal is obedience, then love for God will elude us. And we will become like the older son, resenting God terribly because he never pays us back for all of our obedience. So what God says, or what, what, what the Father says to him, rather, is he says, listen, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. You see, what the older son is saying is, I've been obeying you, waiting to get your stuff. Having you with me is like a big zero. You see, that's the Pharisees. That's, well, that's me. I grew up in a Christian family, and I, oh my goodness, it was a pietistic church, and I was real good at piety. And it was just hard for me to understand how people could not be believers, but even harder for me to understand at times even why they would want to be because I spent all this time obeying God and I seemed to get precious little out of the deal. Because my relationship with God was all about I do what God tells me to and every once in a while he might answer a prayer. And there came a point in my life where I just stopped praying for things because I just decided I wasn't going to get anything. It took me many years to recognize that I pray to find the heart of God. You see, I've been both the younger and the older brother. But in all of that time, God understood that I was not evil. I was lost. I was dreaming about holding candy. He had to bring me to a point where I began to love him more than the stuff. You see, when my mother found me sitting on that counter holding that candy and I saw her, I realized what was important. I'll tell you something. I didn't let go of the candy. 
But I would have. I would have embraced her and dropped the candy. It just so happened that in that story, I got to keep both. My mother was diligent. The shepherd was diligent. The woman was diligent. The father, diligent to track down those who had become lost, to track down those whom they had lost. You see, on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he looked at his disciples. You know what his disciples were doing? They were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom. They argued over, uh, well, who was more humble. Remember when Jesus began to wash the feet of the disciples and Peter looks at him and says, you will never wash my feet. Perhaps the proudest statement ever made in the Gospels as Peter feigns humility in order to keep Jesus from washing his feet. But Jesus continues to pursue him. He continues to find him. And he says, here is my body broken for you. Here is how I find you. By showing you my love. And so our Lord searches. He pursues. He understands that he has lost us. And he will not rest until the matter is settled. And so we come to our Lord today to remember that love, to celebrate that love, and to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, to be called your daughter, so that he can proclaim our sonship once again. Father, we have sinned against heaven and earth. We are no longer worthy to be called your son. Lord, break our hearts. Help us to love you more than your stuff. Help our desire not to be to obey you, but to love you and to be with you. Lord, help us to see those who are lost as lost. Not as evil in search of condemnation but as children sitting on a countertop holding what they thought they wanted but eagerly desiring you. Help that to be our heart in your name.
we pray. Amen.